1: This is
2: the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. I want to start out by talking about Donald Trump basically calling on his followers to commit a felony. You know, there's a woman in Texas who's serving five years in jail, not for voting twice, but just for voting while she was a felon. She wasn't allowed to vote by the laws of Texas. She didn't realize that, but hey, she's black, so she's in jail. And Trump was encouraging people to violate the same kinds of laws, these, you know, vote in ways you're not supposed to vote laws, and he was doing it in North Carolina, where it is a felony to vote twice, exactly the way he described, and it is a felony to encourage another person to commit a felony. So here you've got the president of the United States committing a felony. He did it twice, actually, committing a felony right in front of everybody. Then the attorney general, the chief law enforcement officer of the country, is asked about it and he's like, well, I don't know if it's illegal or not. As if to say, well, I don't care if it's illegal or not. So what's going on here? Well, what's happening is that Trump is a loser. He's been a loser his entire life. He stole $400 million from his daddy's estate and pissed it away. His father had to come into his casino with a million dollars in cash and buy chips to help keep Donald afloat. He's such an incompetent businessman, he can't make money on a casino. Please tell me who else, any casino owner in history, who failed running a casino. Really? He failed running an airline, he failed running a steak company, he failed running a vodka company. His real estate empire only exists because Deutsche Bank was willing to loan him $2 billion, which he's still living on. He screwed his investors, people put hundreds of millions of dollars into his casinos, and they lost everything. Trump paid himself. He won- This guy's a loser. The only thing he's ever been successful at in his life is pretending to be somebody other than who he is on the Celebrity Apprentice show. That's it. And he knows that he's going to lose. He knows he's going to lose this election. So he's trying to burn down the system within which he's going to lose so that he can say, oh, well, you know, you can't trust that system. Right. You can't trust those votes because people were voting twice. North Carolina, I look, see, the polls show that I might be losing in North Carolina. We're going to take it right off the table. Or maybe it's part of a plan to get two certifications out of the state for the electoral college. Because, you know, in particular, it's the more or less purple states, the states that where Biden's actually ahead right now, those are the states that Donald Trump needs to refuse to certify the election if he's going to do a 12th Amendment thing, throw it into the House of Representatives, and have the individual states decide who is president, which, of course, would make it Donald Trump. But he's trying to burn down our election system. He's trying to burn down our post office. Now, truth be told, this is part of a larger two-year plan that was implemented before Louis DeJoy came along, that has already removed over 600 of these multi-million dollar machines that can sort millions of pieces of mail a day. And they're not just like removed and held in some warehouse for scrap or something. They're literally cut into pieces and thrown into dumpsters because this was part of a plan to privatize the post office, break the service so badly that people will be yelling and screaming and saying, oh my God, the post office doesn't work anymore. Somebody please put FedEx in charge of it. But, you know, in its current moment, he's using it to make it harder for people to vote. He's empowering Republican governors to do what Brian Kemp did, you know, with the, the election in Georgia. Stacey Abrams was way ahead in the polls, things like that. So, hey, throw 500,000 people off the voting rolls. Greg Palast, his investigative uh, fund just uh, handed off to the ACLU the names of over 200,000 voters in Georgia who are still where they were before, who, who Brian Kemp purged from the voting list. Keep in mind, Brian Kemp won that election by 50,000 votes. Stacey Abrams' organization had, or one affiliated with her, had signed up before that election 51,000 African-American voters. And Brian Kemp said, oh, we don't have the manpower to put them on the list. So those people won't be able to vote in the 2018 election. Sorry. And then on top of that, he pulls another 200,000 people off the voting rolls and he wins by 50,000 votes. This is the only way Republicans can win. Brian Kemp knows it. Chris Kobach knows it. Rick Snyder knew it. Rick Scott down in Florida knew it. I mean, you know, Ron DeSantis knew it. The only way Republicans can win in America, well, there's two ways. Number one, be in a very small, very rural state where everybody watches Fox News. You've got that. Or cheat. And they're cheating. The vaccine. He's saying, oh, you know, they just notified all the states and some of the territories as well to get ready, because on November 1st, you're going to be distributing vaccines. Well, the two leading vaccine candidates right now, coming out of the United States, both require the vaccine to be not just refrigerated, but kept 80 degrees below zero. Now, you know, things may change, but how are you going to get that out? Tell me that again. Plus, I mean, you know, you go back to Jerry Ford's vaccine effort in the, in the, I think it was 76, I forget the year, but whatever the year was, and people got Epstein, uh, yeah, Epstein, no, it wasn't Epstein-Barr, it was uh, whatever, it was something Barr, but they got paralyzed and you had a bunch of people who died because the vaccine hadn't run through phase three trials. So, I mean, you know, what if he's just like super lying to us about the vaccine? I think that's the most likely thing. You know, he's going to, everybody's going to think there's a vaccine. And then the day after the election, it's going to be, oh, well, I guess we're going to have to wait until January because we really need to do these trials. I mean, are we going to discover, keep in mind, November 3rd, are we going to discover on November 4th that uh, there was no there there? He's trying to. Funding for cities across America that have democratic mayors, which is the majority of cities. I, I, it's, just, it's just mind-boggling. You know, it's it's like try to hurt your political enemies. This is not something a president of the United States has ever done, to the best of my knowledge. Which is use the levers of government, use the powers that you have as president to hurt your political enemies and help your political friends. And where is secret police gonna go next? You know, they were here in Portland. Apparently they're snatching people off the roads in unmarked vans again. Other democratic cities? Polling stations? I mean, how many of his biker buddies are still alive after the Sturgis rally and they're going to be showing up at the polls? They say they've got 50,000 of these folks ready to intimidate, you know, black and brown people at the polls. This is the Tom Hartman program. But I think the bottom line is what all this adds up to is that Trump is a loser and he is losing. Unless he cheats. So, as I mentioned earlier, our president committed a felony right out in the open, encouraging Republican voters in North Carolina to vote twice. And that's a felony and encouraging people to commit a felony is a felony. You know, typically he commits his crimes in somewhat less visible fashions, but this is a man clearly comfortable with committing crimes. Trump has spent much of his life committing crimes. He committed a massive tax fraud when he and his brother Robert stole their father's estate. He violated campaign finance laws by paying off the women he was having sex with. He tried to threaten and then bribe foreign officials, uh, specifically in Ukraine, to get election help. He has thousands of American small businesses who claim that he broke contracts, stole from them, and otherwise behaved like a criminal. He was even busted by the feds for being a racist, refusing to rent properties to African-Americans. E.G. Carroll and dozens of other women have accused him of rape and other forms of sexual assault. This guy was a mobster when he went into the White House. He is still a mobster. He has no respect for the rule of law, and he hangs out with international criminals constantly. The United States has never before, to the best of my knowledge, had an actual criminal in the White House. And that's a problem. We don't know how to deal with a criminal in the White House. And not only is Donald Trump a criminal, but he's also a liar. He's lied over 20,000 times just while he was president. On an average day, he tells about 16 lies. He lied to become president. And now he's lying and committing crimes to get reelected president. You know, the immune system of our democratic republic, when it comes to having a criminal president, I suppose you could say Richard Nixon was a criminal president and the immune system worked with him, is impeachment. But Mitch McConnell is also a criminal. I mean, at least the Republicans during the Nixon era had some integrity in the Senate. Their first loyalty was to country, not to Richard Nixon. Not true of Mitch McConnell. Not true of every Republican in the Senate except Mitt Romney. Trump conspires with foreign oligarchs to influence elections. He covers up evidence of crime and foreign collusion. And he's got Mitch McConnell helping him cover that up. Mitch McConnell is also conspiring with foreign oligarchs to influence his election in Kentucky. Mitch McConnell and his wife, Elaine Chao, have been engaged in shady financial dealings for decades. And at this moment, the only solution for these crimes, given that the Republicans would not remove him from office, the Republicans in the Senate, is Attorney General Bill Barr. And he's willing to continue the cover-up for Trump's crimes. In fact, he's willing to participate in them. On national television, he lied, saying that he didn't know that double voting was a felony. And that he didn't know that prescribing a felony, recommending a felony, encouraging a felony, inciting a felony was a felony. Right. And as a result of this, the only thing we're left with is the election. This is the only thing that might remove Trump from office. And that's why he's trying to burn down every structure that has anything to do with the election. Whether it's polling places, whether it's vote by mail, whether it's the post office itself, whatever it may be, you know, scaring people, spreading the coronavirus, increasing the rate of spread of the coronavirus by having the CDC tell people, oh, if you've been exposed, but you're not sick, You can't get tested. You don't need to get tested. We're going to set up guidelines so your insurance company won't pay for you to get tested. Why? Because he wants more people sick. Why does he want more people sick? Because they'll be afraid to go to the polls. At least the Democrats will be afraid. This is his theory. We're looking at the very real possibility that after November 4th or 5th or 6th or 7th or whenever the the final counts come in, that our long national nightmare, actually our long national nightmare, to paraphrase Jerry Ford, will not be over until January 20th at noon. And one minute after that, we have a hell of a lot of work to do. We have to heal our democracy. We have to suck out the poison that Trump has injected into our republic. And given how deeply Donald Trump has embedded his criminal co-conspirators, his lobbyist buddies, his corrupt politician buddies, and how the elected Republicans in both the House and the Senate have just completely buried themselves up Trump's backside. It's going to be a hell of a big job, you know, cleaning out this mess, extracting all this stuff. I don't think it's going to be easy at all. And meanwhile, I'm, I just got an email from Freedom Works. This is, you know, the Koch brothers kind of helped start this thing. Demanding that Barney call his member of Congress and demand that they give America a pay raise by cutting the payroll tax. Yes, we need to end the payroll tax so that you will get a decrease in your taxes. You'll get a tax break. Right? You know what happens in two and a half, three years. If we cut the payroll tax to zero, Social Security Trust Fund goes broke. What's right in front of us right now is uh, Donald Trump encouraging people to commit felonies to try to mess with our vote. 198,351 voters in Georgia taken off the voter roll. Our old buddy Greg Pallas is with us, the investigative journalist known for his reports for the BBC, The Guardian, The Rolling Stone. He's the author of the new book, How Trump Stole 2020, The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters. And, of course, his previous The Best Democracy Money Can Buy book and film. You can find all the information at Greg Pallast, P-A-L-A-S-T, gregpallast.com, and his Twitter handle is greg underscore Palace. Greg, welcome back.
3: Glad to be with you, Tom. Boy, you know Georgia's a swing state now because the GOP Secretary of State, the guy who took Brian Kemp's place, removed 198,351 voters. That's just short of 200,000, yes. He said that they moved, they left Atlanta, they left Georgia. I didn't see any moving trucks, so I hired the nation's top address location people, and working with the ACLU, we discovered that, well, they said 300,000 people moved, 198,351 never moved. They're right there. Their only crime is attempting to vote while black or young or Asian American. 198,351 people. We, by the way, have... All of their names and addresses. We've made it public that they're removing these voters because Georgia is now, according to the polls, split right down the middle. It's down to the wire. It's now a white minority state, and there's two Senate seats in place. So the GOP has only one move. They don't have enough old white guys to elect Donald Trump or a GOP uh, Senate, and so they've got to get rid of the non white, non young voters, and this is what they've done. 198,000 legal voters removed.
2: Yeah, remember when Donald Trump bought a full page ad in the New York Times uh, calling for the execution of the Central Park Five? Why not buy, a you know, I'd probably take two pages, maybe, I don't know how many, you know, what size type you'd need to go to. Buy an ad in the Atlanta Constitution Journal, or Journal of Constitution, whichever it is, that lists literally every single name. Is your name on this list? You have been removed from the voting rolls even though you didn't leave the state.
3: Well, two things. One, no one reads anymore, especially the AJC. (laughs) But um, we have put up, by the way, so please, if you're in Georgia, if you're in Georgia, please go to savemyvote2020.org, savemyvote2020.org, and that's something that I set up with the ACLU. You can look up your name and see if you've been purged. There's a link to re-register right now. The reason why the ACLU really begged me to put out this report right now is so that people would have enough time to re-register, and I appreciate the ACLU's great work on this. I should also note, and here's a weird one, Tom, they said that 108,000 people that they said moved, those names came from the post office. Well, the Palace Investigative Fund hired the official licensee for the post office, and they went through the list. and They said, no, only three out of four names here did not come from the post office we have no idea where georgia got these lists so they literally said these came from the post office it's fabricated they made it up i don't know where they got it we've been asking where the where exactly did you get these names because the post office says this is fabricated i'm not kidding you have you
2: checked voter registrations to see if they are overwhelmingly democratic I mean, they might just they might be working I mean, off the voter registration list. They're easy. Black, They're publicly American,
3: young. They're mostly in, in Atlanta, renters, low income. We are kind of. Right, literally, they do it by zip uh, code, avoiding, right? Yeah, so we, we know. We know who these are, what the party affiliation is. We went out, because we're working with the ACLU. We're, we're not looking at affiliation, so we're not prejudiced by that. We just know the color of the voters. You get the black, young, Asian American renters in Atlanta. Who exactly are you removing? They know what's going on. And by the way, they kind of showed their cards because the Secretary of State's response to the ACLU was ignore Greg Palace. He's a Stacey Abrams shill. And uh, I thought it was a Tom Hartman shill. <laughs> 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 <But
2: it's, laughs> no, I thought I was a Greg no, Pallas really- shill.
3: You know it's simple. I said, look, we hired the post offices. Can you sit down with the post office experts that we've paid for them? And we paid for the nation's top address verification experts. This is by the way required by federal law. The federal law says you have to use the post office licensee. And they didn't. We talked to the post office licensee. We hired them. They said, it's all fabricated. We don't know where this comes from. And we said, look, we here's the names and addresses. This is not a scientific sample. We literally went through every single name using 240 databases plus the post office historic file. These are the licensed people that are supposed to by law do this work for the states. And they said that 63% of the list, that is 200 out of 300,000 voters that they said moved, didn't we've been to this rodeo before back in eighteen you know when i was down in Georgia, i was standing at that polling station one voter after another saying that they were thrown out that they couldn't vote there anymore including of course christine jordan ninety two years old i was with her when she was thrown out of the polling station her fiftieth year of voting at that station they said she was no longer registered because she'd moved from her house i went to the house that they said that she moved out of i was there and there was Martin Luther King's photo on the wall having dinner with her because this is Martin Luther King's cousin. You know, and again, where do they get this idea that these people have moved? I've met them, i talked to them. They're just making and, this stuff up, we, Greg.
2: This is the excuse to take them off the voting rolls. You know, Brian Kemp won the election by 50,000 votes after throwing, as you documented, several hundred thousand people off the voting rolls prior to the 2018 election. Of course they're going to do the, this.
3: So they did this, it's, and the problem is that, that we don't have it normally. What I discovered, would it, I remember I used to work with the Justice Department. Now it's turned into an injustice department. Who do I go to? Who do you call? Right. You know, um, right. You know this is what we is. Well,
2: the, you call the ACLU, the I guess.
3: Uh, we call yeah. the ACLU, and, 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 and by the way, yeah.
2: A, we should be looking for Republican victories within this 200,000 vote margin of purge here, uh, you know, and, and test absolutely everything when the election happens. But secondly, you know, okay, you busted Georgia. How extensively is this going on in other states that have Republican secretaries of state?
3: Oh, boy. I just found out this morning Florida is using the same system. And you know the election is going to come down to Florida and to Georgia, and Ohio is using the system. I should also say that the Republicans are trying to force the state of Wisconsin to eliminate voters using a similar purge system. Amazingly, the Board of Elections there has actually asked the Palace Investigative Fund to use. We have extensive technical ability in this area to go through these lists to help them out. It started in Georgia in 2018 because of a Supreme Court decision of months earlier which allowed a new system of purging but you can't make stuff up you can't say I got this from the post office and the post office says we don't know so yeah it's spreading all over those swing states yeah look up your registration please right now at savemyvote2020.org
2: savemyvote2020.org you got it Greg Pallast gregpallast.com and don't forget Greg's newest book How Trump Stole 2020. Thank you, Greg. You got me. Bye, Tom. Great talking with you. Dan in Blaine, Tennessee. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind today?
4: I have a deja vu problem. I'm thinking that in 2016, in the election, they had Hillary ahead by like six to ten points. So a lot of people that didn't like Hillary stayed home, maybe. And I'm worried that that's going to happen again, in addition to all the other problems that you listed. I'm thinking that, you know, maybe Trump's going to get elected because they're going to think Biden's got this.
2: I think the major focus of the, uh, in particular, the Russian campaign against Biden, but probably a much broader campaign, is to do just that to repeat what happened in 2016 by causing Biden to be perceived as, you know, somebody who's not going to save America, who's not going to to protect this country, who's not going to do a great job and and you know and, the, and they're they're questioning his intellect, they're questioning his energy, they're questioning his age, they're questioning his politics and setting up phony progressive sites, phony progressive events and apparently hundreds of phony progressive Facebook pages and groups to basically convey that message. Oh, you don't want to vote for Joe. You know, he's just, you know, he's just one of them. You know, just just set this one out. Everything will be fine. And, and frankly, you know, I don't think we're buying it. <laughs> I just don't think we're buying it this time. Ryan in Ann no, Arbor, um, the- Michigan. Hey, Ryan, what's up? You okay. are correct. There are hundreds, thousands of trolls online
1: and I wanted to talk about, just real quick, since you got to the point of what I was going to call, I want to say something else real fast, about where I think this started with Alex Jones in 2011. If you go back and watch, there's a video of Hillary Clinton speaking to Congress, I believe. I'm not sure, but she says that there's an information war going on, and we're losing. She speaks on the Russian—she didn't say troll farms, but she said they started English channels in the United States. She also said China started Mm. English channels. And right when she put out that video, I saw that video on Alex Jones, because I used to watch him when I was younger, because I was, you know, I was younger. And anyway, I saw that video on there, and he immediately, immediately said, yeah, Hillary, you're the one with the disinformation. You're the enemy. And then immediately started spreading conspiracy theories, and then, you know, you've heard of all the conspiracy theories up to this very day, Sandy Hook and beyond. So the
2: question, though, Ryan, I get, you know, I get all that. And we know that on the right wing side, you've got people just swallowing whole the most absurd conspiracy theories. Yeah. You know, Democrats drinking yeah. the blood of babies and all this kind of weird oh, stuff. Oh, God. Excuse me. <laughs> but, hey, yeah, I'm on the edge of losing control myself here. Uh, the question is, will the average voter, most progressives and most solid Democratic voters are cranked up and they're going to show up. But the question is the middle the low information voters the people who start paying attention to the election next week
1: that was the point i'm trying to make too is that they are being successful in getting regular people to not even watch joe biden at all
5: All
1: like my mom will not watch any of the democrats she's not a voter she's not going to vote for trump she's just scared because of the pandemic and all that but she's Mm -hmm. convinced that the democrats are evil because of all this propaganda that we've been hearing for so
2: long. Because. Right, and the main cesspool successful. for this. Right, and the main cesspool for all this is Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook and, and, and his right-wing right wing billionaire buddies who help him run it. Glenn in Kalama, Washington. Hey, Glenn, what's up? The uh,
4: central tabulation server I think is located in Ohio where all the states download their election results. As I understand it, in elections past, they've actually caught trying to flip the vote by one or two percent. Are you confident that we have actual government people watching that or do we have to rely on anonymous?
2: We don't really know right now, Glenn. (laughs) Sadly, in the 2004 election, that Ken Blackwell oversaw as Secretary of State of Ohio. The Republican Party at that point in time, a fellow out of Kentucky or Tennessee, I believe it was Kentucky, who was uh, running a server and internet operation for George W. Bush, who was then the sitting president. They had an internet domain, georgewbush.com and a few other things, you know, 43 or whatever it was.com. That guy who ran that domain provided the backup service for Ken Blackwell's count in the state of Ohio. And that evening, 11, I think it was eleven that evening, election night in 2004, sure enough, the entire Ohio election system, or the main tabulators, did go down. They went brown. And suddenly, Ohio stopped reporting the results. And so then the state of Ohio went to this private server in Kentucky and said, give us our totals this is supposed to be a mirror server the server in kentucky gave them those totals and they said aha look at this john kerry lost george w bush won that's what happened in ohio and there's been just endless conspiracy theories spun around this many of which i think have a lot of credibility the guy who ran that service died in a plane crash shortly thereafter a small plane crash where he was the pilot it seems to have some suspicious circumstances he was increasingly in financial and legal troubles it was a mess We had seen all kinds of voting irregularities in Florida four years earlier that are well, well documented by people like Greg Pallast and Black Box Voting, Beverly. uh, What's her last name? This is straightforward stuff. And it's it's happening and it's happening in the states that are run by Republicans because there's no federal law to prevent it. And that's the crime, Glenn. I mean, you know, we really need to say that there's an affirmative right to vote. And that right to vote would prevent any state from messing with your federal right. But although the Constitution says you have a right to vote in several places, the Supreme Court has said, and they said it in 2000, in Bush v. Gore, you actually don't have a right to vote. So here we are. It's a mess. Ohio is not serving as a election central for the whole country. In fact, that's part of the problem is that there is no election central. So there is no backup system that can be audited. There is no way in many states there is no way after the election to even go back and make sure that the people who said they voted voted in the red states and the blue states. They're all quite transparent. Jerry in San Francisco. Hey, Jerry, what's up?
3: a while ago you were talking about we have a lot of work to do if we're lucky enough that Biden gets elected I was wondering if you could go a little
4: deeper in that and and kind of flesh that out a little bit.
3: Yeah,
2: I think we need to reevaluate the Patriot Act and all of the other emergency powers that the president has been given over the years. There were some around Vietnam. There were some around World War II. And most of them, frankly, came after 9-11. So that needs to be dialed back. Number two, we need to find out what the hell is going on with these PEDs, these presidential emergency declarations or whatever the PEAD stands for. ABC News did an eight-minute segment on this, or maybe it was an 11-minute segment on this, that I tweeted out, and I I encourage you to hit my Twitter feed and watch that. It is shocking. Basically, you've got a number of people actually talking about how basically Donald Trump has the power under these peds, which have never even been seen by any member of Congress. But he has claimed the power under these things to suspend the Constitution, to suspend habeas corpus, and to put the United States under martial law. It's just astonishing. I mean, these things go back to the Eisenhower administration. And they were put into place just in case that we got into a nuclear exchange with Russia and 90% of America is a smoldering ruin. You know, what do you do? Wow. That's why they were there. But Trump could, I mean, Trump was bragging about this three weeks ago. He said, I've got powers that you don't even know about. Yeah, I remember And hearing he's that, yeah. right. Yeah, and then you got John U, and this was, and he was interviewed in this ABC segment. You got John U who flies out to Washington D.C. and sits Donald Trump down and tells him about the Peds, says you've got all these magical secret powers, and then also tells him how he can use executive orders. You know, for example, the DACA program that Trump tried to get rid of, and the court stopped him because he didn't do it right. He could have easily gotten rid of that DACA program though, because it was an executive order by Barack Obama. A president can undo previous presidents executive orders. But Congress has a real hell of a time, particularly a divided Congress, undoing presidential orders. And so basically what John Yoo was telling Trump was, you know, there's 16 ways to Sunday that you can do this. You can do anything you want, whether it's building a border wall or whether it's, you know, screwing with the census or whether it's preventing black people from voting or whatever, whatever you want to do, you could figure out a way to do it using these executive orders. And no president has ever used these as aggressively as they could, and then, of course, there's the secret stuff that John Yoo was helping. Keep in mind, John Yoo was the guy who authored the torture memos, along with Jay Bybee, right. who's on the Ninth Circuit. Now, John Yoo's teaching law at Berkeley. And these guys were war criminals, and John Yoo. And and he was the one who wrote the memos telling George W. Bush and Dick Cheney that they could violate not just the U.S. Constitution, but the U.N. Charter. That, you know, this is when we started pulling ourselves out of the International Criminal Court. Now Trump is going after... People who work for the criminal court, they can't, you know, do business denominated in dollars and stuff like that. I mean, he's sanctioning people in Holland who work at The Hague on the International Criminal Court, which is insane. Well, why is he doing that? Because they're looking into war crimes being committed by Trump. You add it all up and it's just absolutely nuts. And so, you know, when you say, what is the work that we have to do it, once Trump is out of office to draw all this back in? that's my starting list. And I just finished writing a book about this, The Hidden History of Tyranny and Oligarchy, which will be out next spring. And I've been thinking a lot about it, Jerry. I'm telling you, I've been thinking a lot about it. You
3: just made the greatest plea to get people to vote that I've heard in
2: a long time. Thanks, Tom. Well, thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Yeah, good talking with you. I appreciate the call. This is serious stuff, and we've got to take it very, very seriously. We do have a lot of work to do. Liz in Los Angeles. Hey, Liz, what's on your mind today?
6: Yesterday, I was watching either CNN or MSNBC. I mean, 'cause I flip the stations a lot, and they had a doctor on who was talking about Alzheimer's and Trump, and he said he's exhibiting a lot of the signs. Well, I thought that a couple of years ago. Remember when he did one of those talks and he was—they had a clip and he was saying, "You know, shishish." That's a sure yeah. sign, of, unfortunately, I had to deal with somebody who had it. and um, that, that sure, That's more of
2: a sign yeah. of micro strokes, isn't it?
6: That I don't know, but it certainly is a sign yeah. of Alzheimer's. So. Yeah, I think, and, well,
2: I don't know about Alzheimer's, but dementia, yes. And one of the more common causes, I understand, of dementia can be a, quote, series of microstrokes, which is what Trump tweeted day before yesterday. I didn't have a series of microstrokes when nobody was saying that he'd had a series of microstrokes. People were wondering why he was dragging his leg and why he went to Walter Reed. So it's all very, very weird. The problem is that the only mechanism we have, there's two mechanisms for removing the president. The first is impeachment, and we know how that went. And the second is the 25th Amendment, which requires Mike Pence to publicly say Donald Trump isn't competent to be president and then requires the majority of his cabinet to back him up on that. And then that's only a temporary process. The president can appeal it. So I'm not holding my breath for it, but your point is well taken. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's up? Great show you're having. You know, I don't think we
4: should even, or you should, or whoever else has a radio show should even refer to the president as the president because he's acting like a dictator. In fact, I would say he's de facto the right wing fascist dictator of America right now. Only dictators rig elections, and he's trying to rig the election. Only dictators project and accuse. Other people of what they do and what they are. He's a liar. He's a crook. And so he's going to accuse Biden of being that. You know, we have to wake up. I mean, I've been a Democrat since, I don't know when, mid 70s when I started to vote. And I have voted in every election. I've never voted for a Republican. The only Republican I ever would have voted for was Pete McCloskey. I don't know if you recognize the name. I'm a Republican. Represent-
2: Yeah, from California.
4: I told him that one day because I met him in downtown Santa Cruz. This was about 20 Mm. years ago when he already was. Didn't he become governor for a while? No, 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 no. No, he did run as a Democrat for a congressional seat. I think it was in the East Bay, but he didn't win. And that was maybe about 10 or 15 years ago. And he was, he, I don't yeah. even know if he's still alive, but he was actually already quite elderly when he did that. But he ran as a Democrat. So he, he stopped being a Republican.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had a pretty good reputation, too, back in the day as one of those kind of Rockefeller Republicans, the, the moderate Republicans who have, you know, just all been purged and run right out of their party. Excellent point, Dennis. Dennis, thanks for the call and for sharing your story with us. Teresa in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Teresa, what's up?
7: Hi, Tom. What I'm calling about today is just to get the message out. We live in a vote-by-mail state, and mm-hmm. people who are wanting to vote by mail, if they want to vote early, is they can call up their election office, their county election office, and see when they can pick up their ballot. And they normally will give you a date ours is today and fill it out and then take it back or you know we have drop boxes you can put them in those but don't Mm. use mail
2: what's the day that Washington State drops their ballots in the mail is that today that they mail them out to people
7: our secretary of state is sending them out three weeks early which is in October so You know, that's just too late. Three weeks is tight. You can go to your election office, and people, you know, I'm sure they can call their election office across the country and find out, okay, when can I pick up my, you know, my ballot? Can I pick up my absentee Mm -hmm. ballot and have them go and pick it up? And, you know, it's going to take some legwork, but if you want your ballot to count, you know, do it.
2: Are you sure you can do that? Because it seems like they'd have to yeah, jump through can. all kinds of hoops to find your individual ballot. Huh.
7: No, well, no, no, remarkable. no, you can, you can. And you can drop it. You can drop it. At, we have drop ballot drop boxes. So after sure, so no, that, I get that.
2: You, yeah, we have them yeah. here too. So after you've done that, Teresa, let us know how it worked out, okay? Quick math. The less your business spends on operations on multiple systems on delivering your product or service,
5: Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com.
2: Nancy in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Nancy, what's up? Democrats who are planning on um, waiting till
6: November 3rd to do their voting And yet we're hearing about there's not enough volunteers or not enough people to work Mm -hmm. at the station, to to work there. How will those people know if their voting places are actually going to have enough, if they might close their voting place?
2: Well, this is why it's important not to wait until November 3rd to flush the, you know, we have to vote as mm -hmm. early as possible. I don't hear enough people, though. I don't hear enough volunteers, I guess, telling these people that. You're trying to tell him that, too. I'm, I'm saying it. You know, Mark Pocan said it maybe 20 times yesterday. <laughs> Everybody I know is saying, you know, vote early. And then you got Trump saying, you know, vote early and vote often, which is like, whoa. But yes, Nancy, thank you for the call. Susan in in uh, Snellville, Georgia. Hey, Susan, what's up?
6: Hey, Tom. I just wanted to call to inform parents that my eighth grader's teacher yesterday online, he was spewing QAnon conspiracy theories that have been talked about on the news the last couple of days, saying that the only COVID deaths are really the 6% that died of only COVID. So I reported it to the principal, and she was had no idea of what QAnon was even, she didn't even know how to spell it. So I told mm. her, you know, they live among us. These are american unpatriotic people that are, believe in Russian propaganda. So she said that she was going to talk to the teacher again, but the teacher tried to make up excuses.
2: It struck me as you were telling this story, Susan, that I wonder if your kid has the ability to record the teacher's lessons so that you could have actual video documentary evidence of this.
6: She said that she had the recording of the Zoom meeting and that she went through it and she was trying to make excuses for the teacher. But once I was able to explain the whole QAnon... Theory and how they're trying to help Trump look better on the COVID cases. She said she would relook into it and then readdress the teacher. But I just wanted yeah. people to know like what's going on in your kid's school and that they live among us and they're going to be poisoning your kid's brain, you know, here and there, just like a cult.
2: Yeah, this is insidious. Ronald in Landal Lakes, Florida. Hey, Ronald, what's on your mind?
3: Uh, what's on my mind is they just coming up between Trump and Biden, I would like to
4: know how we could do something to force them to do a fact check on all the questions and answers that are going to be made to the candidate.
2: Well, the first debate is going to be moderated by Fox News, so I wouldn't hold my breath. I mean, it's going to be Chris Wallace, you know. The second debate is the C-SPAN guy, and he does a pretty good job of basically just looking confused. The third debate, I believe it's Kristen Welker, who is uh, uh, just a crackerjack reporter with NBC News. She's really good. She's really smart, really insightful, doesn't brook BS. So the third debate, I think, has the best chance of something like that going on. But basically, Ronald, we don't have any power over this. This is something that is has been organized by the two parties and a private corporation that took over the debates in 1988. And that private corporation is funded by the two parties, in part, and they put these things on. Prior to 88, it used to be the League of Women Voters, and the debate formats were fairly long. You had, you know, five minutes to make a presentation, you had five minutes to rebut it, you know, those kinds of things. Go back and watch the uh, Nixon-Kennedy debates. They were, for me, absolutely fascinating, very informative, but apparently not as entertaining as the media wants today. And in 88, when George Herbert Walker Bush wanted to change the rules of the debate in a way that would favor basically Republicans who might lie, specifically George Herbert Walker Bush, and make it harder for either person to challenge the other directly, the League of Women Voters at that point said, you are trying to rig these debates and we will have nothing to do with this. We resign. And that's when this private corporation kicked in. So that's where it's at. That's how it came about, Ronald. You know, frankly, I, I am not hopeful that any wonderful stuff is gonna come out of this, but you know, we'll see. Suzanne in Rosharon, Texas. Am I saying that right, Suzanne?
6: I really do appreciate your show and I really do love your format. I saw something on MSNBC last night where Russia was trying to engage us in Syria and that stupid Mm -hmm. president does not wanna do a bad dumb thing. We've gotta stop him, plain and simple. I'm scared. Yeah.
2: yeah, this started. I'm very scared. Yeah, I, I, you I know, can't take no more. I, Suzanne, no need to be scared. We can be concerned and we can take that energy and channel it into doing things and saying things and waking people up. But scared just paralyzes. Franklin Roosevelt in 1933, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, paralyzing fear. Gail in Antelope, California. Hey, Gail, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up?
6: Ask you if you think that what the postal inspector is doing could be considered actually tampering with the mail I was just I reading do. the definition of it and it says that it's destroying damage or interfering with the mail that's like you could charge it on a state level and then it says mail fraud involves using the United States the federal part to carry out a scheme or plan to unlawfully obtain money or anything else of value He's definitely interfering with the mail. Could they not charge him with some kind of a crime?
2: Yes. Well, first of all, mail fraud is what Steve Bannon has been charged with, you know, along with uh, his buddies like Eric Prince, although Eric Prince wasn't charged, but he's a director of that, you know, this sham organization. But there is a specific law. There's number one, there's a law against tampering with the mail. There's also a law against delaying the mail. I believe that Louis DeJoy could be charged under both those laws. The problem, you know, with trying to do that is that the agency that would have to charge him, since these are federal crimes, would be the U.S. Department of Justice. The U.S. Department of Justice yeah. is run by Bill Barr. I'm sure Bill Barr is very happy with what's going on. So, you know, that's the problem.
6: Tampering with the mail may be a crime under state laws. So I'm wondering oh, that's if interesting. the state just file charges
2: you would have to look on a state-by-state basis and maybe speak with state AGs about you know whether yeah. their state has a specific law against tampering with the mail, and if they do, then, then they would have some standing. That's, that's great, I didn't know that, Gail. Gail, thank you. Don in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Don, what's up?
3: You were talking about breaking the law, and you mm-hmm. should keep in mind the emoluments clause, and he keeps delaying, allowing us to see the tax returns, and that's the reason why, because he knows that once we see he's making money while he's in office, that's against the law. And he's been doing that ever since. And so we need to keep this in the public eye. Just to forget that he's been making money all this time.
2: I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, he has been breaking the law since the day he was sworn into office. At the top of the pile there, the 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 most visible and obvious one, is the hotel in Washington, D.C. He's got a lease from the federal government. That's the old post office building. And they've leased it to him. And in the lease... It says if the leaseholder ever becomes elected to public office, they must surrender this lease. That's in writing in the lease. But the problem is that that would have to be enforced by the National Park Service, which owns that property, which is the party that owns that lease. And the National Park Service is being run now by a Trump toady. And so, you know, he's not doing anything about it. But, you know, that is such a clear violation of the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution. It's such a clear violation of the lease itself and, you know, not to mention a moral violation just as a starting point. And now he's using all these federal buildings, including the White House and the the Rose Garden and everything else for purely political purposes. You don't get more purely political than the Republican National Convention or the Democratic Convention. This has never been done by any president in our history. Republicans used to yell and scream when Barack Obama would use Air Force One to fly to a fundraising event. And frankly, I think some legitimacy but, you know, they're all now, you know, oh, hey, it's all good. You know, we got no problem with it. Brian in Granville, Michigan. Hey, Brian, what's up? I'm worried
3: about presuming that the Democrats win in November and put Trump on trial. The right is never going to believe that these were actually fair trials. So how do we prevent in the next round them just having show trials for any Democrat that goes up against them?
2: You know, I expect that. That, I think, is the real danger here, Brian, is that if Trump gets reelected, I think we can start expecting to see people go to jail. And even if, if, that, if that was that your question, I think I might have missed. A couple well, of I'm, I'm more if Biden gets elected and we right. put Trump on trial for everything he's done, how are we going to prevent in eight years? Oh, the next setting Republican- the precedent yeah this is what jerry ford was thinking this is what bill clinton was thinking if i go after them they'll come after me or even if i go after them i've established a precedent that has never before been established in america and these show trials of previous administrations are the stuff that other democracies are famous for my guess is that there will not be in a biden administration there will not be any federal pursuit of donald trump Because, frankly, I think the state people who are going after him will take him down just fine, thank you very much. They've got more than enough on state tax evasion, on bank fraud, on uh, real estate fraud. I mean, they had nailed Ivanka and Don Jr. back before the election. I kept waiting for that to turn into an actual prosecution where they were lying to people to sell those condos. They were lying about their occupancy sales. They were lying about their costs. There was a whole bunch of stuff that these guys were lying about they got busted for. So maybe we can avoid that, Brian. I don't know. But the, you know, the bottom line is we are, we are wandering into an absolutely uncharted political territory here.
3: It reminds me a lot of what happened with the fall of the Roman Republic, because they had the same thing. They had some normal prosecutions of people who were incredibly corrupt. And then the next administration came around and said, oh, well, they prosecuted them, so we can just prosecute anybody we don't like.
2: Right, and then it went on steroids with Augustus, who was arguably the last real Caesar. Yeah, I mean look at what just happened in Brazil, you know, where they went after Lula. There's a discussion about this in Mexico right now because of the high levels of corruption in that government. There are other governments that are doing this and it's a very, very fine line between prosecuting corrupt former officials on the one hand and using those very same laws for political retribution. And it's one that, Brian, I think your concern is 100% legitimate, and I share it. And, you know, we're just going to have to see how it all plays out.
0: Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts.
2: Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is In Putin's Footsteps, Searching for the Soul of an Empire Across Russia's 11 Time Zones by Nina Khrushcheva and Jeffrey Taylor. This is from the introduction titled In Putin's Footsteps. On New Year's Eve, 1999, journalists in the Russian president's press pool had a feeling that things were going to change. They were right. The feeble and aging Boris Yeltsin, who could barely board a plane or stand for a 15-minute press conference was about to deliver his end-of-the-year address, in which he resigned and ceded power to his prime minister and hand-picked successor, Vladimir Putin. Once head of the Federal Security Service, the FSB, the post-communist democratic version of the dreaded KGB, Putin was indeed an unusual choice, having served as the head of the government for only a few months. But the 48-year-old ex-spy, who had become the youngest Kremlin leader since the Soviet Union's founders, Vladimir Lenin and Joseph Stalin, had a quiet energy that seemed boundless as boundless as the geographic expanses contained within Russia's 11, yes, 11, time zones. After taking over from Yeltsin as acting president on the first day of the new millennium, and after winning by a landslide presidential elections three months later, Putin, in the year to come, held over a dozen press conferences and traveled to almost two dozen countries and at least a quarter of Russia's 89 regions, which are spread out over 11 time zones. Altogether, he was seen in public and on television more often than Yeltsin during most of his eight-year presidency. Suddenly, the press had something to report. The news stories were no longer those of Yeltsin's Russia, which was perceived both at home and abroad as weak, insignificant, and a corrupt boogeyman reeling from his Cold War defeat. These were stories of an enigmatic young technocrat tirelessly crisscrossing the country and meeting with workers, farmers, and cultural figures, attending theater galas and factory openings. All that uplifting travel—Russia was starving for the Kremlin's attention—connected Putin to ordinary people and gave him the idea of delivering a rousing New Year's Eve televised address to the nation. Standing before the Kremlin's Spassky Tower just before the giant bells rang in the year 2001, under starry winter skies in front of a large snow-dusted Christmas tree, he pledged to counter the negativity of the post-Soviet decade and set the country on a new positive course. And this he did. In his address, the ardent young leader looked both charming and in charge when he spoke of Russia's great future, heroic past, and enduring spirit. Putin had often appeared a reserved technocrat, but soon he would demonstrate a talent for finding opportunities to impress the heartland. He knew the best way to get to people's hearts, showing them that his priority was returning Russia to the world stage as a major power of formidable dimensions. Originally, he had an even bolder plan for his New Year's address, and he'd run it by journalists in his press pool during one of his trips around Russia. Without a hint of doubt in his voice, Putin told them that, quote, Russia is an enormous country, a great country. We need to remember that our strength is our size. What if I were to travel through Russia's limitless land in one night, through all of its 11 time zones, stopping in each one at midnight local time to record a New Year's message to show our nation's greatness, our richness, the diversity of our mother Russia, our unity, and our worth? Russia has 11 time zones more than any other country, and that, as Russians would have it, bespeaks its status in a way no one can deny. Often the time that appears on a nation's iconic clock, Big Ben in the United Kingdom, for example, or those daunting dials on the Spassky Tower, in Russia's case, is a subtle way of representing where power lies. In Russia, every time zone is first referred to in relation to MSK, Moscow Standard Time, with UTC only following. Moreover, many countries don't even adhere to the 24-hour GMT UTC's neat meridians. China's huge landmass should straddle five different time zones, yet operates according to just one. Inhabitants of Western China, if they follow their clocks, have dark mornings and light evenings. But nobody doubts that only the Beijing time matters. When Hugo Chavez became president of Venezuela in 1999, he created a new time zone that would set Venezuela 30 minutes apart from neighboring countries. That was his way of letting the world know that Venezuela was striking out on its own. But Putin's idea of showcasing his country's temporal and geographic diversity in just one night was certainly unique, and it accorded with his plans to return Russia to its lost great power status. It also sprung from what Putin knew Russians expect of their leader, something close to godlike status. Keen on creating a leader's image steeped in tradition, history, and mythology often associated with the uniqueness of the Russian soul, spiritual endurance, persevering patience, belief in miracles, and material sacrifice. He wanted to be seen as the dead morose, the granddad frost, the Russian Santa Claus, bearing gifts of renewed national importance and self-confidence. Capitalizing on Russia's size, 6,000 miles from east to west, Putin hoped to begin restoring his country's grandeur, once czarist, then Soviet, and now Russian. The idea was bold and beautiful, but unfortunately, unrealizable. The book In Putin's Footsteps by Nina Khrushcheva and Jeffrey Taylor. Keith in Greenville, South Carolina. Hey, Keith, what's up? I'm so pissed off at Trump for his felony voter fraud
4: action that I went and looked up the law in South Carolina. Then I went to the state attorney general's website and sent him an email urging him to make a public statement saying what is legal and what isn't legal about voting in this state and as well as send the law to uh, william barr and tell him since he was on cnn yesterday and said i don't know what state law is and tell him what south carolina law is it's illegal for what trump did
2: he committed a felony and then i went and had yeah. copy and pasted that and i sent a letter to the editor of the local paper barr was just lying through his teeth as he frequently does Amazing, very, very grim stuff. Keith, thank you. Keep on it, and let us know how it works out. Lathan in Flint, Michigan. Hey, Lathan, what's up?
4: Uh, I'm in Flint in Genesee County, and with the last election, with with our primary, we had 4,000 ballots that were knocked off because they were spoiled. And what I mean when I say spoiled, like when you get the mail-in ballots, people would sign, do all this stuff inside, and if you didn't mark everything correctly, it was dismissed. If you didn't sign the outside of the envelope, it was dismissed. So it wasn't counted. And we had 4,000 in Genesee County that were not counted. And I think that people right. need to, need more education to know what they're doing.
2: Yeah, I agree, Lathan. And in some states, the person making the challenge, saying, you know, that person's signature doesn't look like the signature on file, for example, Some of these are cut and dry. They forgot to sign it. Okay, sorry, you can't count the ballot. But more often than not, you have a Democrat and a Republican who are both looking at the signature, right? Two people. And if the Republican says that, and knowing that this came from a predominantly Democratic voting area, particularly an area that's predominantly Hispanic or African-American, the Republicans will almost always say that doesn't look right to me. And sometimes they just kind of roll over and say, okay, I'm tired of fighting about it. We'll just set that ballot aside. 4,000 in the primary, that's pretty bad. But in the general election, you're going to have, you know, the Republican Party has already hired 50,000 people to do this in polling places all over the United States to to yell, that ballot should not be counted. And that's, that's going to be coming to a town near you. So take Latham's story seriously, because it's a real story. And this is, this is what's really going on. The Republicans cannot win elections. We have not had a Republican elected president in the United States by a majority of the people for over 30 years. 1988 was the last year that a Republican became president as a result of a majority of the votes in America. Think on that for a minute. And get out there, get active, tag your it.